may be seated. If you would turn in your Bibles to <clears throat> James chapter 2, in your bulletin there's an insert with an uh, outline there for you. It also has the verses we'll cover today, but we're going to spend some time throughout Genesis and other locations in Scripture to kind of get the greater context. What is James up to in the book of James? James is walking us through how the new birth grows into new life. From the very first chapter, chapter 1, verse 18, he establishes that we have been brought forth or born again by God's own will. He is the one who sovereignly administers salvation to us, gives us the gift of faith. By grace, His work on our behalf, not anything that we have contributed or merited, earns God's favor. He borns us again. As newborn children will grow physically, we as God's children born of the Spirit will now grow spiritually over time. And James spends some early time in his chapter in his kind of wisdom book of the New Testament helping us to examine, to test the faith that we've been given to see if it's genuine, to see if it's living, to see if it's active. He knows that the basis and the grounds for your salvation will always and ever be the righteousness of Christ exchanged for your sin. Justification in Christ's atoning sacrifice. But he also goes on to show the fruit and the evidence of your salvation will ever and always be your works of obedience to King Jesus. When Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, if God's given you faith and you love Him, it's going to have fruit in your life. It's going to show evidence that you are His. Last time in James, we started to examine the, the, the relationship between faith and works. How does that work? And it's so crucial for us as Christians to understand how faith and works fit together. We saw that faith professed must be faith that's possessed. It can't be any good for us if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works because that faith can't save him. So faith alone is what saves, but that faith is never alone. It always accompany, is accompanied by the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So those gifts of the gift of faith will demonstrate itself in works. And so he gave two examples that we looked at last time where the faith and works and how they relate together. First is the dead faith that says to the poor and the needy, be warmed, be filled, but doesn't lift a finger to do a thing. That, that's dead faith. That's worthless faith. The second illustration that James uses is then that of the useless faith of the demons. They believe, but they're left shuddering in terror before God. Because they have orthodox belief, they believe God is one, but they don't willingly obey King Jesus. Today we're going to consider the, second, the, the last two examples that James gives of faith-empowered obedience, that of the patriarch Abraham and the prostitute Rahab. Follow along as I read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, James 2, 20 through 26. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for revealing to us by Your Word and Spirit, Your will for our salvation, that You have given us such gracious and precious promises in Your Word, that You have fulfilled Your promise to send a Messiah in giving us Jesus, our Savior. And Lord, we thank You for the prayer that You, Lord Jesus, prayed, that Your Word is truth and that we would be sanctified by the truth. Lord, we lack the holiness, we lack the ability, we lack the power to live lives that could even remotely be called holy. But Lord Jesus, You are praying for us, interceding for us. You've even sent Your Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we could be comforted in our weaknesses, so that we could be convicted of our sin, and so that we can be empowered for godly living. Lord, we want to keep in step with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. So teach us, Lord, from Your Word today the truth that we need to consider and to live out in our lives. We need You. We call upon You even now in Jesus' name. Amen. What is James saying? Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's a toughie. That's a challenge, and that's kind of rocked the world of a lot of Christians to try and put together what James is saying here about works and what Paul says elsewhere about faith. And what is it that justifies us? I want to see if I can help illustrate the way in which James is using the term justified. Same term, same word, but he's using it in a different sense. Uh, Last September, Tony and I got to take a trip of a lifetime where we went on an elk hunt in the high Uintas Mountains of Utah. And it was a pack-in-by-mule all-day trip, and it was going to be a lot of hiking, walking, scaling mountains and uh, carrying our packs and our bows along. And I knew if we were going to hike a lot to get where the elk were, we would have to be prepared, and particularly in the arena of the footwear. So I thought and studied and researched, went on YouTube, went on website after website to find out what is going to best serve me and keep me safe. The right kind of footwear. The conditions were going to be way more treacherous than I was used to here in Kansas. There would be 
hills and mountains and boulders and slate fields, creeks and bogs, fields. And so I knew from my research that to keep my feet dry, I need to have a pair of waterproof boots. And under those boots, I had to have the right socks. The, the, the research that I did all pointed to these merino wool socks that would be both warm enough, yet breathable enough, keep my feet dry so that I wouldn't get blisters, infections, all that. And so I had the wet weather boots, but I also had another pair of boots that were more breathable for dry conditions. They had excellent support. They had protection. And I was pretty confident in my decisions based on all the research that I did. And I invested money in that equipment. And yet I still had some doubts as I went on the trip. Did I, did I make the right choice? Well, that week when it was over, we had hiked 55 miles over five days across creeks, rocks, boulder fields, uphill, downhill, and my feet survived. No major blisters, no broken bones. I didn't slide off the trail. I didn't get stuck in the mud. I didn't fall off the edge of the mountain. I'm still here. Now, the time that I spent and the investment that I made paid off. Even though we didn't come home with an elk, I came home safely and from a footwear perspective, it was a success. In James' terms, you could describe my experience as the success of my footwear justified the confidence that I had in my equipment. Or finishing the week safe and sound justified the investment of time and money I spent on good footwear. Or the success of my footwear justified the wisdom of the experts and the consultants that I checked out on the internet. That, that's the sense in which James uses justified. It, it, it proves out. It gives evidence that that is true. It's similar to the way that Jesus uses the term in Luke 7.35 when he says wisdom is justified by all her children. Does that mean declared righteous and fit for heaven and holy? No, it means that wisdom, when you look at what comes out of somebody who lives wisely, all of those actions, behaviors, all the evidences point back to that was truly wise. Wisdom is justified by our children. And so, as we look at James and we see the way in which he uses the word justified, when he says we are justified by our works, Works provide the fruit and the evidence to confirm the genuineness of our professed faith. Let's consider these two Old Testament examples of works that James gives us for us to consider, and then let us consider our own obedience as well. Because grace-fueled faith empowers obedience to God, your works will give crucial evidence of your genuine relationship with Him. We say that again. It's because that grace-fueled faith will empower your new obedience to God that your works are going to give crucial evidence of your genuine relationship with Him. Look at the patriarch 
Abraham's example of obedience. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? This term shown in verse 20 and in verse 22, you see. And then verse 24, you see. This is an evidentiary hearing. You're going to look with your eyes. Seeing is believing. How do we know it's genuine? Look. Look and see. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see, that faith was active with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, it seems that James is pointing to a certain occasion in Abraham's life where he was justified by his works when he took Isaac to be sacrificed. But we know from Paul that back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, when Abraham was initially called and given the promise that he would be a great nation, he was acting in faith, and his faith and his faith alone is what, called, what made him called righteous. Listen to Genesis 12. The Lord God said to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham leaves. He leaves the home of his father and mother. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees, and he goes into the land where God's promising. Later in Genesis 15, uh, God expands upon this promise, gives him more details about how he will be a great nation when his wife and he are barren. And he brought him outside. God said, look toward heaven. Number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. That righteousness that was counted to him, credited to him, was by faith and alone. He was believing God, was faithful to keep his promise, to make him a great nation. And even in he and his wife's barrenness, he had the faith to believe that God would provide. God would provide an heir. So when Paul describes this call of Abraham in Romans 4. He says, what shall we, ga- we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as dues, And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That initial call, his response, his belief on God before he did anything was where he was declared righteous. Galatians 2, Paul goes on to say, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. And so if, as Paul was arguing, your struggle is to believe, I have done enough good, I've been righteous enough for God to recognize and declare me righteous, you got it all backwards. It begins with faith. Abraham's faith is what saved him, and it was credited to him as righteous, 
righteousness. He was justified already. But there we are at age 75. He gets that promise. Fast forward, that promise is not realized until he's 100 years old. 25 years of some ups, some downs. You know, Tony's been preaching through. Abraham has been pretty honest. Abraham was not stellar all the time. You know, there was the calling his wife his sister episode, not once, but twice. Different issues in his parenting. There are ways in which you'd be scratching your head. I wonder about this Abraham. Is his faith genuine? Now, after some 35 years, after his initial faith, he's faced with the test of his life. The greatest test that he faced, sacrifice your only son, God says. And that's what James is referring to, and that's where we read in Genesis 22 that Abraham took his son Isaac, and Isaac said to his father, my father, he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. They went up, both of them together, when they came to the place which God had told them. Abraham built the altar, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Note this. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Wait, God declared him righteous when he left Ur of the Chaldees. He knew the genuineness of his faith. In anthropomorphic terms or from a, from a human perspective, kind of put on to what God was thinking, from a human perspective, Abraham now showed by his fruit, the evidence that that faith is genuine. It's true. He passed the test, and everyone can see it. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught by, in the thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. Abraham took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, when the author of Hebrews looks back on these events in Abraham's life, his call and this test with Isaac, he first talks about the call in Hebrews 11.8 where he says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of that place and when he received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same prophets. For he was looking forward to a city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. That initial faith and obedience that he was declared righteous. But then Hebrews 11.17 says, But by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his own son. You see, in acting on the promise, I will multiply you greatly, make you a great nation. Now take away your child, and how is that promise going to be fulfilled? Well, he believed even that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's faith tested was then proving 
justifying by his works. Abraham held nothing back. And he held nothing back from God, and he was willing to give his most precious treasure to his God and Savior. His grace-fueled faith empowered his obedience to God. And his works gave crucial evidence of the genuine relationship that he had with God. For it says, he was called the friend of God. You see, I'll tell you, in my preparations for this, I'm trying to be as theologically accurate as I can in, in distinguishing the, the justification by faith and justification by works. And, and, and I think it's important to be theologically precise in all of this. What is the net result, though, for Abraham? He's called a friend of God. Jesus, what a friend of, to sinners. This fact of God justifying us by faith alone, and then our lives lived as a, as a sacrifice to Him, as a thank, thanks offering to Him, just warms us and convinces us this relationship that we have with this God we can't see is real, and it gives us joy in living for Him because we're called His friend. There's real personal impact for us to this important theological truth. Let's go on. Not only does James deal with a man, the patriarch, who's considered the father of God's people in all of the Old Testament, he now switches to the very other end of the spectrum, a woman, a heathen pagan woman who was a prostitute. And James uses her as an illustration of faith and being justified by her works. We see verse 25, and in the same way was, also, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out by another way. So this is referring back to Joshua chapter 2 when after God's people had been wandering in the desert for 40 years, when Moses gives the reins over to Joshua, and he says, go into the land of promise, there's going to be a series of challenges and God showing up faithful and miraculous battles being won by God's people. And the way that God's people were going to win was not by their own cunning and their wits and how they can figure. It was going to have to be by the miraculous hand of God, Jericho, walled city, no way to get in. But Joshua sent spies, and when those spies came in, word got out to the king of Jericho, there's some no good spies here, go find them. The soldiers are going to find those spies, but then they came to the house of Rahab, the prostitute. And in Joshua 2, verse 4, it says, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And he said, true, the men came to me. She speaks to the, the soldiers. But I don't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, and you'll overtake them. And they left. And so she has this conversation with the spies, explaining why did she risk her life to save their lives? And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land knelt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit in any man left because of you. Hear this. For the Lord your God He's the God of the, in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. She had faith in God, and she acted on that faith by keeping those spies safe. Now, they made promises to her. We'll watch over you. We'll keep you and your family safe. And she let them down by a rope out the window, but then she was told, hang a scarlet cord in the window so that when we come back, and they did, Genesis 6, the people of God come back, they march around the wall all these days, and here comes the destruction. But Rahab, the prostitute, was rescued. It says in Joshua 6.22 that Joshua, go into the ho- Joshua said, go into the house of the prostitute, bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. And the young men who had been the spies went, brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers, all who belonged to her. They brought out all her relatives, put them outside the camp of Israel, and then they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Rescued a woman, a heathen, a prostitute. But then is she elevated in the rest of Scripture? She goes on to marry Solomon. And in this marriage, she enters into now the people of Israel whom she professes faith in that God. And she becomes uh, part of this lineage then that when she married Solomon, her son was Boaz, who was the husband of Ruth. And then Joseph, the father of Jesus, earthly father of Jesus, is in the line of Rahab the prostitute. So she's no longer viewed as this unclean prostitute, but she is in the lineage of Jesus. What a worthy, what a, what a, a bestowment of grace that God puts upon Rahab. John Owen says that Rahab is a blessed example both of the sovereignty of God's grace and of its power, of its freedom and its sovereignty. In the calling and conversion of a person given up through her choice to the vilest of sins, nobody, no sin should lead to despair when the cure of God's sovereign, almighty grace is engaged. God rescues and saves, and then He puts her right to work. She came to this acknowledgement that, that God is the true God, and then she has this major test in her life that she risked her life to save the life of these others. So the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.30 comments, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you notice how the author of Hebrews sounds to kind of almost downplay it? She gave him a friendly welcome. No, she risked her life even though it was kind of a momentary thing and it was over. A small thing, but huge, huge consequences. Someone said 
Rahab demonstrated her trust in the one true God by sheltering the spies. If she had confessed faith but then ignored God's people when they were in, the, in need, she would have reveal, revealed that her profession was empty and her faith ineffectual. Her works of hiding the spies and then helping them escape justified or demonstrated that she was a true woman of God, faithfully trusting in God's promise through His people to save her. Her grace-fueled obedience to God. Her works gave crucial evidence of the genuineness of her relationship with Him. We've considered a patriarch. We've considered a prostitute. Now we need to consider ourselves personally. How should we see and practice this reality? Because the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. We ought to do that. Peter encourages us in 2 Peter 1.10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Test, confirm. Hear me well on this. I don't want you to be hand-wringing, oh, no, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm worried. I'm concerned. No, just take an honest look of your life. If God has given you the gift of faith, then the duty to live out those works of obedience will spring from a heart of love, of thankfulness, of gratitude. Jesus saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, is going to be your heart's desire. I want us to think of ten ways in which we should consider for ourselves our works based on Abraham and Rahab. First, Abraham held nothing back from God. He was willing to give his most precious treasure to his God and Savior. What are you being called to give fully to God? Rahab, she reached out and took into her own care those who were needy, those who were helpless, regardless of the potential cost to herself. Who are you called to care for and to protect that needs your help today? Thirdly, Rahab's faith put into action, literally saved the lives of those spies. What impact are you having on those around you? But it was seemingly small deeds and small decisions that made a huge difference. Where are you practicing faithfulness in the little things, in the mundane things, the small acts of faithfulness? How are you being called to come out of your past life of sin and its lifestyle and risk being very countercultural in the exercise of your faith? Where have your past associations and patterns maybe trapped you that you have to walk away from? How are you acting in courage through your obedience? Now is the time. When Rahab was called upon, she had to act in that moment. Seventh, entrust your family to God. Rahab did. Abraham did in an ultimate way. If God is faithful to His promises to Rahab and Abraham, will He be faithful to watch over your children? And then deal kindly with God's people. When Paul says 
if we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. And you know what's going to come from our works? There's going to be a greater assurance. As we see the evidence of God working in our lives by our works, we're going to grow in our assurance of faith, that I truly have a faith that rests in Christ because it's changing my life. No, I'm not where I want to be, but by God's grace, I'm not what I once was, and He's given a drive to want to grow and to live for Him. Finally, God will be glorified as we let our light shine. You will be salt and life, light in this generation if God works in you those works and they see your works and glorify God, our Father in heaven. Patriarch Adam or Abraham, the prostitute Rahab, we see grace-fueled faith yielding obedience. And that obedience, those works, were giving evidence of the genuineness of their relationship with God. Don't ever think differently. The basis and the grounds of your salvation will always and ever be the righteousness of Christ exchanged for your sin. You're justified by faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice. The fruit and the evidence of your salvation will always and ever be your obedience to King Jesus because if you love Him, you'll keep His commandments. Being justified by works means your works prove and validate the final verdict and declaration that your sins are paid for in full by Christ Jesus. You are righteous. You are acquitted. Let's pray. Father, we long for you to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we will take none of the glory, none of the credit, none of the honor, for you will receive it all. We'll cast all of our crowns at your feet, and we will praise you for eternity for your great and marvelous grace that saved us, sinners deserving your condemnation. But Lord, as we go from today to the next, to the next, Lord, I pray that our lives will be so full of growth, maturing, fruitfulness, not for our sakes, but for your glory alone. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.